0: Well, good morning, Fellowship Family. It's great to have you here as we worship. And uh, as you may know, there was a tragedy that happened in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania yesterday. A gunman went into a synagogue there, the Tree of Life Synagogue, right in a very Jewish district of the Pittsburgh area. And um, 11 people were gunned down and and killed. And today, as we just think about our, our friends and our brothers and sisters in Pittsburgh and in Pennsylvania right now, um, we think about them and our hearts go out to them. And as we're aware of this, I want you to think about um, just t- committing them to prayer over this next week. As you think about what they're dealing with, as more news comes out as to the gunmen and everything that's happening there, would you just pray for them? And I thought we could just start our time with that, just as it's heavy on our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we can worry about this and we can fret about this, but. Uh, prayer gives us the opportunity to look to you and to trust you, even when we don't understand it and we don't know why it happened or why does this happen when you're in control. We don't know that. But we do know that we can talk to you, and we do know that our emotions and our feelings and our fears can be shared with you, and we cast our cares on you because you care for us. Lord, even beyond how we think about this, we know that there are 11 families right now who are dealing with the loss of loved ones. For seemed like a senseless act of killing, and so we trust them to you. We pray that you would comfort them. You are our great comfort, Jesus. I pray for our fellow brothers and sisters who are in the Pittsburgh area. May you draw them together to show their love to these families. May the gospel go forward through how Christians treat this community, as in a response to this crime. Lord, I pray that you would lead our authorities uh, to good justice. To wisdom and lead, Lord, we commit our leaders to you. That as they respond to this, you get, you will give them wisdom and grace and truth in the midst of this challenge. We trust them with you. We thank you that we can come to you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. We are continuing in a series called "Available," and we're looking in this series of what it looks like to uh, put your life in God's hands and allow Him. To use you. And we've been talking about a different topic each week. And this upcoming one is one we haven't talked a whole lot about here at Fellowship, but one that, if you look at the New Testament church, they practice this all the time. And it's this concept of hospitality. What would it look like to be someone who lives with hospitality? And by that, you open your home to minister to people. That your home is a ministry in ministry place. And we believe that about everyone here. That everyone here who knows Jesus is a, is a minister. And everywhere we are is a ministry opportunity. So I want to talk to you what it would look like if your home was that. And I understand as soon as I talk about your home and ministry, you freak. Okay? My home is my refuge. My home is my place. It's my space. Don't mention, don't get into my life. Don't get into my home. That's why I come here on a Sunday morning. But... You know what? We are no different in that pushback and in that resistance to the New Testament believers. And we just see a, just a wealth of passages that call us to be hospitable. In Romans chapter 12, verse 13, Paul says this, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews it says in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 2, he says, Do not neglect to show hospitality Look at that one, four strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware of it. Where do we see this happening? We see it happening in the book of Genesis when those two strangers came up to Abraham and he invited them into his tent and he fed them and they were actually angels and they said, one year from now, Sarah, your wife is going to have a baby and they all broke up in laughter and they said, and because you laugh, you will name him Isaac, which means laughter. We didn't laugh. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. You'll name him Isaac. And so they did, and he was born, even though Sarah was over 90 years old. Look out. Only God can do that. So you never know what God's going to do with hospitality. But the one that that I really want to put the anchor down on is in 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, uh, Peter says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So if this is hospitality, and what is, what is hospitality? Because it's a, it's a Greek word that if we were to just kind of separate, there's two words that go into that Greek word. One is the first word phileo, which we get Philadelphia from. It's a brotherly type love. It's a neighbor, neighborly friend type love. And then the second word right attached to it is stranger So it's kind of like friendly stranger. You get those two words put together in the name, in the the Greek word for hospitality in the New Testament. And so literally what it's saying is you need to be a friend to the stranger. A friend to the stranger, which is different, really, than what we think about hospitality. We think hospitality is, hey, I know you on the outside, and I like you. You believe like me, and you vote like me. Now you come into my safe place, and you come in here. And that's not biblical. That's It's good hospitality. It may be really nice. It may be really fun. But the biblical view for hospitality is that it's a friend to a stranger. It's inviting the stranger in. It's a whole other layer, and I hope I don't put a whole other level of tension in your life. But this is the first century church, and this is the first century home. This right here is why we have two by fours on the stage. It's to show you that the typical size of a room in the first century church was about this. It's just a little bit over nine feet by 10 feet. And when I went to Nazareth this past year, I took about 30 people and we looked at a reconstructed home of what that might have looked like at the time of Christ. And that was about the largest room you would have, a largest structure of a room. So think about it. How many of us have a house that's this size? Not many of us. Some of us have a dorm room, but even those dorm rooms are larger. Most of us have apartments that are even larger than this. And if the New Testament church could practice hospitality with a space like this, then what should we do? We'll talk about our home, but let's get to this passage because I want to understand what context that passage in 1 Peter 4 was said. So let's look at what Peter writes. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 9. And we'll look at each phrase of this to understand it and to really understand what hospitality is all about. Peter says this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That grumbling word, Peter was a Jew, and so he would go back to Old Testament scriptures, and he would go back to the murmuring of the Old Testament children of Israel when they're in the wilderness and they're grumbling. They don't like the leadership of Moses. They don't like their circumstances. And that's what we do when we want more, but we think we have less, is we grumble. We grumble when God asks us to do anything we don't really want to do, anything that fringes on something that we worship or that we aspire to be or something that we want. And so here it is. Practice it without, without grumbling. So what is what is hospitality? What does it look like? Well, let's take a look at this verse by verse. First one, Peter says, The end of all things is near. The end of all things is at hand. What is Peter talking about here? He's talking about the return of Jesus. Because at the return of Jesus, God will judge all things. And everything that's not eternal will be burned up. And everything that is eternal will be judged or will be given eternity with him. That's kind kind of a humbling thought there. Because God, his word, and people are eternal. We will spend eternity in one place or another, with God or without him, in heaven or hell. And we believe that because we read the scriptures and we can't deny it. None of us go, yippee kaye. there's people who are going to hell. None of us do that, and none of us should. But Peter lived with that perspective that things that are done with his life need to be for eternity. He needs to invest his life with the gospel in calling everyone in to the salvation that's provided by Christ. He realized the end of all things is at hand. And so he realized that everyone's home that they had the end of it is at hand. It's not going to last forever. So he called everyone to take what they had, what, does, what doesn't last forever, and move it into what could last forever. Use it for that. And so therefore, he says, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. This is, a, um, this is a picture, you wonder what this means. Obviously, self-controlled in opposite of being out of control and led by the flesh. This is self-controlled where you're led by the Spirit in your life. And secondly, be sober-minded. You're not drunk on yourself. But specifically here, Peter was writing to people who were persecuted, who were suffering, whose friends and relatives literally died for the sake of the gospel. So he's saying instead of just going crazy and being fearful and thinking you've got to have all the solutions, pray, pray. Because as long as it's going to be about you and about your way, you won't pray. So for the sake of your prayers, train, put your mind on Christ and, and put your heart. Give your heart and cast your care. This is a phrase by Peter. Cast your cares on the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. For the sake of your prayers, Be God-dependent. And then it says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. This is really important because as people are being torn apart by the culture and by by those against Christianity, they also, they, they flocked to each other and they weren't getting along. So Peter was saying, stop, stop. You've got to continue to love each other deeply, earnestly, not surface, not a veneer, but go deep with people because when you love each other, it's going to be easier to forgive them. And my, don't we know that. If you've ever gone on an adventure of love called marriage, you know what that's all about. When you're when you're pouring your life into loving that person, it will also involve you giving up yourself. Because you know the difference of how biblical love works. That Jesus didn't expect us to love him. He didn't want us to give him his love before he loved us. He came and gave his life for us. So love gives. It's just just that picture of how love works. And then you thought your life was great when you're married, and then God gives you kids, and you realize, oh my goodness, I didn't know how selfish I was. And you don't know how selfish you are until people always need you, and you don't have any more choices anymore, and you love each other earnestly. And so church, we're called to endure in this love because love covers a multitude of sins. One more thing. The more you get to know me, the more you'll have to forgive me. Because the more I'll disappoint you. The more deep your relationships are, the more flaws you see in people, and the more opportunities there are to offend. And so love has to go deep. It has to go deep so they can cover a multitude of sins. And it's within that context, then verse 9 says, is show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. So what does it look like to practice this biblical hospitality? What did it look like for the New Testament church? And what could it look like for us when we offer hospitality? And there's three things about hospitality I want you to think about. And the first one is hospitality is recognition. When you invite someone from the outside in, there's a picture of acceptance. There's a picture of respect. There's a picture of interest in them. This is a huge thing in our world right now because people want to be known. They want to be known generally. That's why sometimes on social media, we can go generally, look at my fantastic smoking hot wife. Look at my kids. They're beautiful. Look at the, they're eating all their food. It's not on the ground. And look at them now. But we, we show the best of ourselves, but we hide the worst. And there is a deep desire to really know someone, not just who they present of us, but who they really are. Folks, life is not a Disney mo- movie. It doesn't break into song. Life, life is a struggle, it's difficult. People want to know who you are. People want to be seen. They want to be recognized. There's a longing right now in our very lonely culture of being looked at. Do you know how important eye contact is? And you can't avoid eye contact when you invite someone into your home. Hospitality and a screen just don't get along. They, you don't go, hey, really good to see you. This way to the kitchen. This way to the kitchen. Yep, right over there. It's really good to see. I hope you're doing well. Let me just respond to this. That doesn't work. We just know that because there's a close proximity with you when you recognize. What was it said about Jesus from his enemies? Look at him. Look at him. He's dining and he's drinking with tax collectors and sinners. He's in the house with them because Jesus recognized people they rejected. We have to be that force in this world right now. Christians are a new community to recognize people on the outside and invite them in. Powerful. It's powerful. And it's a huge cry of our culture right now. Secondly, uh, hospitality is provision. It's food, it's shelter, it's rest. Let's talk about food I don't know if you think about someone who just offered you hospitality throughout your life. I go back to my Arab grandmother. We called her Siti. And Siti was a woman. She stood about that tall. But my goodness, in my eyes, she's just taller than a giant. But she would um, invite me into her kitchen, which, no doubt, it was probably the size of this box on the stage. And she goes, come in here, Habibi, come in here. And I go, hello, Sitte, it's good to see you. We'd sit down, sorry, I'm talking with the Arab dialect there. But she sat, sat us down, and she had the plastic covering on the, on the table. You know what I'm talking about? The pla- and then, just to top it off, the plastic placemats. We're going old style here. And she would sit down and she would just open up her refrigerator and she would just bring the food. And I'd go, I'm really not hungry. Oh, look at you. You're skin and bones. You need to be eating. And so she'd bring out all this Arabic food. And one of the things she'd always bring out is, we called it laban, but you call it yogurt. And we had laban long before yogurt was in. Here in our culture. And I remember she would go and literally a yogurt is a culture. It's a culture. And so it's a living culture. What she did is she'd bring milk up to a boil and then she would put it, let it sit. And when she could stick her two fingers in it without them burning, this is my grandma's recipe, she would go in the refrigerator to an old culture that she had from a previous batch and she'd take a dollop of it. She'd put that in the milk that was cooling down and she'd wrap it in towels and in the morning it would be firm like yogurt and so she would keep one part of every batch for the next batch she never bought yogurt that would be a crime in the arab community to do that because families and generations would pass on the taste to each other see that's hospitality It's not hot pockets in a microwave. It's where where you bring up your taste and those, those tastes that bring in. There's a uniqueness. There's a specialness in having you over. There's also shelter. There's shelter. Think about the New Testament church. They were running for their lives. And where did they run to? People who would open their houses and protect them. This gives us images of the Underground Railroad around the Civil War time where uh, emancipated or just escaped slaves would run to people's homes and they would protect them with that shelter. Shelter is important, and shelter saved lives. And I would say it still does how we use our homes as shelter. I remember one of the people we've used our home for shelter with when we were kids, we had three little boys. We were just pulling our hair out with three boys that had the energy of, you know, just, I mean, craziness. Craziness. And we had this uh, young woman, she was in college and she was on a tennis scholarship at the University of Tennessee in Chattanooga. Her name was Dilshani and she was from Sri Lanka. And she didn't have any money for food, for food or provision. And so we had her come in in our already crazy house and we offered her a room and we said, Dilshani, we want you to be part of our family. And our boys started seeing Dilshani and just loved her as a sister. And... Um, there were times when it was crazy. like she always ate my, the last of my favorite dessert in our refrigerator. But, and I just had to get over that. I just had to get over that. But she became family. Then when we moved here, I remember Kyle Brown lived with us for two years as he was going to University of, uh, or Washburn University. And my kids had a guy just older than them that they could see and they wanted to be like, Kyle's like a brother to my boys now. And all that happens when we just open up our homes. And there's a ton of resistance to it. This is my home. This is our family. These are our traditions. We want the inside. But when we open them up, we provide provision. And then rest is another one. Rest, the Hebrew word for that is Shabbat, which literally, it's the Sabbath. The Jews worshiped yesterday on the Sabbath. It was the final day, the day that work would cease and the celebration, the recognition of God would commence in worship. Hospitality is that. You provide rest for someone. And, and you show a picture of who Jesus is then. Because Jesus uh, says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You give a picture of Jesus when you provide provision. But hospitality, in addition to recognition and provision, it's also a relationship. When you invite someone in, they go from being alone to with. With. Do you know how important that is? Thanksgiving is coming up in a month, less than a month. Think about all the people around you who don't have a family or who have lost a loved one who will be alone on Thanksgiving who could be with you. Just think about a room this size with number of people here. There's a ton of people in your lives who this is the first Thanksgiving without that person in their lives. Could you invite them to be with you? That's a relationship. We'd like you to be with us. And you can bear that burden with them. Some, uh, you know, that whole picture of biblical hospitality moves from stranger to family. That's how, that's how biblical hospitality works. Someone on the outside, someone who's not known. Think about that word stranger. What word's in it? Strange. <laughs> they may be strange. They're not going to be like you. But by showing them, you call people in that I'm, I'm willing to love people who don't just look like me or act like me. And then, of course, hospitality breaks down that great barrier of how we see others. It moves from those people to us. Think about that. Think about how many times you hear those people in our world today. How many times that you go, well, I don't understand those people or those people, or, especially in a politically charged environment, those candidates. And hospitality moves to us, moves to we. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. And all of this happens when we open our homes. So let's talk about our homes, because I think that's in a very important place where hospitality happens. It's not the only place, but it is a significant place. And I think about over the course of this weekend, we have 1,200 homes represented on this weekend who will worship with us here at Fellowship Bible Church. 1,200 homes. And I think about all the opportunities we might have For people who live around us, people who work with us, people we already know to be hospitable with. And think about this with me. Um, The home right now is we are thinking more about the home than we've ever thought in the history of humanity. Humanity. We're, we're learning more about our homes and what's gadgets and upgrades and improvements are out there. We have the home and garden channel, the great bastion of information. And if we want to learn from Chip and Joanna Gaines and how to remake or do something in our homes that would make it much like a farmhouse, our dream home or whatever we want to make it. We have dreams about our homes and we have Uh, the percentage of our income spent on our homes is the highest it's ever been in the history of humanity. We're spending 40% of our incomes on our homes. And by that, I don't just mean mortgages. I mean your utilities and your improvements and your upgrades, anything for the home, 40%. In 1973, that was 28%. So we've gone up in 12% of our income and our incomes have skyrocketed since that time so if money equals importance and priority, then our homes are the most important and highest priority. There's nothing we give more of our money to than our homes. When things aren't working at home, I'm talking about like air conditioners, dryers, dishwashers, they better get changed quick, right? Because our homes are important to us. But here, let's just take a look at the U.S. census number on our homes. In the, in the average size of home in 1973, how many of you were living in 1973? Okay. I, I moved into a house in 1973. And if I compare it with the house that I had or I have now, um, there's a lot of differences. Like the closets. The closet sizes, they were like that in 1973. Right now, we have to walk in our closets. It's just important to us that we can walk in our closets and just see clothing stacked for generations upon generations (laughs) right there. We don't just have two pairs of pants like they did in the 40s or 50s. We have our summer and fall and winter and spring wear, and we have colors for how we feel and how we want to feel, all that kind of stuff. We have just so many more things. But the average size home in 1973 was 1,600 square feet. In 2016, it reached its height. The average home in 2016 was 2,660 square feet. Folks, that's over a 1,000 square feet in size of homes that we have. That would be a 10-foot swath. Think about a 10-foot. That's 10 foot there. From here all the way through the front doors of our church. We have that more than we did 45 years ago. And then if we look at the average household size, and by this, how many people lived in each home, in 1973, it was just over three people per home. And now, 2016, two years ago, it's 2.54, and that number continues to go down. Now, what does 0.54 look like? It, I don't know. Half a person? <laughs> I don't know. But it's gone down 16%. 16% in this past 45 years. So anytime that you, the average size of your home goes up and the average number of people living in your home goes down, guess what happens? You have more space available, right? So we have rooms that we haven't visited for a long time in our homes. We have rooms that we like to have when grandma and grandpa come twice a year, when they come, we'll have this space. And we have garages with more spaces than we have cars because we have lots of toys for the kids and garden equipment. Hi, I'm Joe, and I have those things. We have more than we've ever had. We think about it. We spend more on it than we've ever spent before. Could it be that God might have given it to us to see how we'll use it for him? What if instead of worshiping our homes, we worshiped God with our homes? See, that's really what God wants everything he entrusts us to do with. If that we would take whatever he's given us, some of us have more, some of us have less. Some of, it's, what you have is not as important as what you're doing with what you have. And so it's easy to say, I don't have the big house. I don't have the big spread. My, my, uh, my, the seats around my table only have enough for my family. I just don't know. I just don't think I have the space. And the reality is, I think we do. I think we do. And even more than the space, think about the opportunity. What if our hospitality was meant to reflect God's hospitality toward us? Because in any one of these values that we've been calling you to in, in in being available, it's what if the way we loved others, what if the way we treated others ultimately reflected the way God has treated us? What if the way I forgave you reflected the way I've been forgiven? What if the way I practice hospitality reflects God's hospitality of me? See, when you do that, when you recognize people other people don't recognize, when you provide for people other people don't provide for, when you are in relationship other people don't want to be in a relationship with, guess what? You show a picture of a higher love, a higher heart than your own. You show the hospitality of God. So how do we do this? How do we grow it? How do we grow it? Well, let's talk about this as we close here. There's four points I want you to think about. Because I know it's easy for half of us in this room who are introverts to go, ah, I don't know. I mean, my home's my safe place. It's my refuge. That's why I built the fence in the back. That's why I like one time a year, Halloween, this week, when I get to see my neighbor's. But overall, this is my safe place. Don't go messing with my safe place. I would say, well, what are you willing to start with? Here's what I'd like you to consider. What if we went home today, we went into our home or our apartment, our dorm room, and we just said an opening prayer. We said, God, you have given me this. Thank you. Help me to use it for your glory today. For your glory this week. For your glory this month. However that's going to look, Whatever opportunity you present for me, I'd like to say to you right now, so move in my heart, this house is yours, however you want to use it. Because that's where it starts. It starts on the outside and it moves to the inside. Hospitality always does that. That's why it's so important that how you are hospitable to people when you're not in your home will determine whether or not they even come to your home. And that begins with a look. So, how do you look at people? When you're in a public space, what would it look like? Now, I'm not going to be a creep, and I'm not going to follow you with a camera. But what does it look like when you're in a public space? I, I can be so wrapped up, and I've got to go from point A to point B that people are not even in my peripheral. I'm just, just going in. My wife sees it all the time. I'm walking like this. I'm walking with, see the head real front and the shoulders? And she goes, are you stressed? What, what, what why am I stressed? Yes, you are stressed. You're walking like You're stressed. And then again, I'm not asking you to go plastic where you're going, hey, hey, yes, good to see a world. You know, you're not. This isn't a Disney world. But, but really, what would it look like for you to be authentic? Do you even know how you look when you greet someone? Because it starts with a look. And you need to be authentic. It begins with a look, and it moves to a greeting. How do you greet people? One thing I know I don't want to do is I don't want to be this. Welcome, CeCe's. You ever go to CeCe's? Welcome, CeCe's. Welcome, CeCe's. Everyone walks to into- Welcome, CeCe's. Now, I love that it's a food trough, and I can go with five bucks, pop it down, and eat as much pizza as I want. But greetings aren't usually the strong suit. And I know if you work at CeCe's, God bless you. And maybe you might want to work on that. But we want to be careful that we don't, everyone's not, hey, what's this? A good day today, you know. <laughs> we want to be open. We want to be authentic. But it begins on the outside, and it moves to the in. You might want to try, when someone has greeted you in the past, and you felt unique, and loved, and accepted. That's how you greet people. And there's people in my lives who don't just say hello at first. They give the look. And they welcome you with their presence. My grandmother, when I walked into the room, she would go, look at you. Look at you. Don't try that on a stranger, but she did that on me. Okay? And I just knew I was welcomed by her. There are options for us to greet people and welcome them. Not because you want anything except to recognize them. Meet a need in their lives. Begin a relationship. It starts on the outside, but it moves on the inside. And there are some things I can do in action that will move to my heart. God does that when I'm willing to trust him in that. Hospitality also moves from the physical to the spiritual. When I'm available with the physical things God has given me, with the things that don't last forever, when I'm available with, God, with money with God, he always takes it and he moves it into something money couldn't buy. When I'm available to God with my home, And that's something physical, and we make mortgage payments on it. But he moves it. Something spiritual can happen when I give God some physical space for it to happen. Fellowship Bible Church has a history of providing physical space, because when we do, people, people respond to that. And then, and then, my story with Jesus happened because one lady brought a dinner over after my grandpa died. After my grandpa died, I never met him. My dad was 10 years old when that happened. And um, my, my, um, my grandma was alone with two children. And Edith Tapper knocked on the back door and she said, Marie, I'm sorry your husband died, but I have dinner for you. And she sat down. My grandma had her come in. She wasn't even her house. She came over to my grandma's house. And she brought dinner. She sat down. And she ended up inviting my, uh, that, that family to church with her. My grandma didn't go, but she allowed her two children to go. It was in that church my dad and my aunt heard about Jesus, trusted in Christ. It was in that church that different men came around my dad and became a father to him, helped disciple him. in that church that my mom and dad met. They got married. That church I grew up in. I mean, it all started. You have no idea what one dinner can do in the hands of God. But when we trust him with physical things, he moves to the spiritual. Who knows what future generations are going to be changed because of your hospitality. And then hospitality grows from smaller to greater. With what, when I'm available with what I already have, God entrusts me with more. So think about this. What do you already have? My house is not that big. Do you have a room larger than this or the same size? Because if you do, this was New Testament. It can work in the t- 21st century. If you do, then it's an option. Oh, but my, my home will not look like Martha Stewart's home. I mean, she has so many beautiful things that are there. God humbled Martha Stewart. She knew what a small space <laughs> looked like after she was humbled. There are so many things telling you out there. You can't do this. You're not going to do it. Or look at my kids. There's more food on the floor than ever makes it into their mouths. How in the world are they going to do that? You know when you do that and you have another family that comes over and they look and they, they go, me too, me too. Do you know how powerful me too is? And no, you don't have to have a multi-generational yogurt, okay? But what do you have? What has God trusted you with that you could use? Take the pressure off yourself. People want to know you're authentic, that you're real. Your marriage doesn't have to look pristine. Your kids don't have to be all behaved. Your home. I have had some of the greatest things while people were tearing apart their kitchens. And we still could sit and look at each other and have relationship. Hospitality can go, but it needs to start smaller and move to greater. So don't go, we will have someone live in our home for 13 years. Don't do that. But what about one night? What about a day? What about a dinner? And then finally, it moves from resistance to experience. We are anti. Our world is anti-having people over. It just is these days. That used to be a very common thing. It's not anymore because our homes are our safe place. And I hear it all the time and it's not just at our home. It can even happen in our churches. But I would just say this. People are usually coming to a church these days through your home. Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. Right now, of all seven-year-olds in the United States, only 50% of them have ever gone to church. Ever. 50%. That's a new number we've never had to deal with before. If you're 16 to 34, there's only a 16% rate that you're in a church today. So it's 16, that's 84% are not in church at all. How will they come here? Because come to my church is not as appealing to, the, to them as, hey, come on over for dinner. So the segue into our churches is not the open invitation to all. It's, it's the invitation to your home. And I would just say this. Think about your neighbors. Think about God placed neighbors there. And there are a bunch of yard signs that make you feel or may round up. There are those people. Don't go there. There are people God has placed right next to you. Invite them in. That's how God is working right now. He worked that in the first century. The gospel would not have advanced from the known world to the unknown world if people didn't open up their homes. And I would say this now. The gospel's not going to advance until we... Open up our homes. Because when we open up our homes, we open up our hearts. And that's how we reach people. With the heart. With the heart and the truth of the word of God. So, as we depart here, I'd like to consider a prayer for you and anyone who lives in your home when you go back to your home. Lord, thank you for this home. Use it for your glory. Help us to open this home more than we close it. Help us to welcome into this home those who are even strangers so that Jesus can become greater in our lives and theirs. Would you stand with me as we leave? Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person in this room. You've entrusted us with so much. First of all, the gospel and your goodness, your character. And then gifts you have given to us. And the one we talked about today is our homes. You've brought us to this place so we can go back to our place and use it for you. We thank you for how you've blessed us in so many ways. And we now make our lives available for hospitality. However that's going to look. Whether it's a look to people, a greeting to people, or the opening of our homes to the stranger. May we use it for our glory, your glory to make you greater on earth as you are in heaven. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.